VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Well, hello and welcome to the Game Podcast. Hugh Wisencroft with you, of course, alongside Matt Dickinson and Jonathan Northcroft in an apartment in Doha. We're on location for this special edition of the game. How have you been finding Doha so far? Let's talk about our World Cup experiences uh, to begin with. You've been out for a cycle today. I mean, I it's, have, yeah, have, yeah, 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 yeah. Enjoying it? First thing, am I enjoying it? I, I, look, I'll be honest, I am. And it, I think a lot of journalists are struggling with uh, the fact that for us, it's been quite, a, I'll be frank, it's been quite a pleasant World Cup. It's been really well organized by FIFA. It's really uh, convenient to get around. You know, we're, we're getting to see fantastic games. Uh, the heat hasn't been too bad. I've been been for a cycle. We've got a wonderful supermarket next door. It's been comfortable, but you're aware that um, that's maybe not the experience for everybody. Uh, there's certain communities of fans that might not be having that experience out here. And we know about the backdrop to the, the tournament and are, are conscious of that. But hand on heart, have I enjoyed it? Yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I've enjoyed it for a lot of the reasons Johnny just said. I would say it's also been restrained. Yeah. I would say it's been ordered. I would say it's been... Not the same, like for example, you know, they've set up, you know, you go down to the Corniche down by the, the, the waterfront there, and yeah, there's it's sort of set up for tens of thousands of fans <laughs> to mingle and to create mm. this amazing buzz. And there's hundreds of fans there, you know, you don't have the same, and this is not just an English perspective. I've been out speaking to other fans of other nations, and it is not the same, you know, raucous frenzy, it's not got that same massive melting pot. You know, and 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 rowdiness, to be honest. And I know there's a big debate that we can have about the alcohol sort of factor in that. But it's, you know, you get on some tube trains. The tube is almost the most raucous place yeah. in this World Cup. You get on a tube with Argentinian fans and they're singing and dancing and banging drums or Brazilians or Ecuadorians. But it's, there's just not... You know, I haven't seen the same fervour that I've seen at other World Cups. I'm, I'm not sure about that, Matt. I mean, I think it's about our idea of what raucousness is. Maybe I'm, I'm saying this in the wake of being at the Morocco-Spain game, which uh, was a huge, like in terms of raucousness, fan experience, that was incredible. But it hasn't been like every game, of course. But but being on the tube last night with uh, a carriage load of Moroccans who were just unbelievable entertainment. They were going crazy, but they were pretending to do bullfighting using the, the Moroccan flag, and one of them was the Spanish bull they were singing the national anthem in this brilliant way there were women on the carriage and you know that traveling to football in the tube in london for example back from a game that that's and we know where, where that scenario can go with british football fans when they're beard up but they were having a brilliant time carriages rammed really noisy but there was a sort of there was a restraint a respectfulness that the, the 
the women were enjoying it rather than being, you know, uh, put upon. So I, I know what you mean, but I've, I've quite enjoyed the slightly different vibe to it. There are times that Qatar seems a very empty place, but there've also been moments where it has been like like a different World Cup and probably quite enjoyable enjoyable difference. Yeah, I, I, and I, you know, I think it is that that whole debate, including the alcohol one, is actually quite nuanced here. Mm. But also, it's been the most sort of multicultural in the sense that you know, for example, coming back from the game last night, I was at the Portugal game, and most of the fans we've you know I've written about this, talked about it. We're not mixing here with Qataris. We're mostly mixing with Indians, Bangladeshis, Pakistanis mm. who do all the jobs out here. So, you know, I, but I came back from on the, yeah, on the train last night and I was chatting to, you know, Indian fans who are working out here who are obsessed with Ronaldo. You are seeing a completely different type of fan demographic here, which, you know, as you, as you know, Johnny says, it's, it does feel like the game, this World Cup has sort of opened up to a, to a different demographic. And I think a lot of that is for better, but I also think the difference is, you know, it is worth reflecting on why a lot of Western Europeans have not come out here as well. I think it's an interesting one. I was, uh, I managed to get onto a Metro. I mean, four or five had passed before I was able to actually get <laughs> myself onto a Metro. And it was interesting after a couple of stops, uh, uh, a guy got on with his, well, I guess I assumed it was his partner, a female, Obviously, you know, we've all been to football matches where we're on our train carriage afterwards, absolutely rammed. And I was just there, you know, squeezed in. You all know I'm a bit of a unit as well. So I'm feeling really <laughs> uncomfortable because I'm, I'm literally touching every single person in the carriage, probably with one part of my body or other. And, um, you know, she, she said to me, I assume she said to me, could I, could I hold the, um, the support that's there? by the door, which is where I was leaning. So I moved out the way, but then I, then there, I, you know, I obviously couldn't understand the language, but then someone said in English, can we, can we make some space for the woman, please? And then I was thinking, because it was a really, really crammed Metro, this guy had actually rammed his way in just to get on with his female partner. And I thought, hold on a minute, you knew the situation when you got on, there's absolutely no room here. And then I thought, well, that's absolutely ridiculous because we were able to open up space for her to stand on her own. It was just a British, mindset in a foreign country obviously you're learning we're all learning i you know we should all learn throughout our lives but obviously it's an experience where you learn you suddenly think well that was actually such an easy thing to accommodate and i'm just as crammed as i was before she got on onto the metro (laughs) is not saying that it was it suddenly became a great experience but it certainly was a better experience for her which i think is something that you know we could all learn i think so yeah it's troubled me at the euros a lot euro 2020 where the way it ended just spoiled, quite honestly, what had been such a fantastic tournament. I just think we saw the worst of British beard-up behaviour and fandom and and stuff that's just mental. You know, I mean, that's the way I could describe it. You can't. How could you explain to a, a foreign person the scenes on Wembley Way culturally? You know, how, how how could you how could you sort of explain what's going on there in any kind of rational way? And we do, we do sort of, that informs our experience of being among British fans. And as you say, Hugh, it's about realigning and thinking actually there's a different way to behave. We love the passion of the Premier League. We love the passion of, um, of, of, of our football stadiums and foreign players always talk about how England's special in that respect. But maybe what we're seeing here is, is there a middle ground to be found? Can we learn from, from this a little bit? I mean, I, mean I, I agree with all of that. And yeah, I mean, this is... 
Um, obviously not reflective of everyone out here, but the longest queue I've seen um, so far traveling around uh, is at the Red Lion, <laughs> <laughs> the Red Lion Bar. I mean, it's become the go-to place, and I'm not just talking for for English and Welsh. Who it's the it's partly of the part of the attraction is it uh, sells the cheapest beer here. Um, you can get bottles apparently for seven quid. The queue what? was the queue was too long. I didn't wait to get in. Normally it's you know 14, 15 quid for a pint here, but you know I went along and chatted to fans in the queues and some were Mexicans and Argentinians and they wanted a little bit of what is regarded as a special culture in England. So yes, of course we do not want riots and, and all that stuff. And at the same time, there is something about our football culture that <laughs> that, that appeals to the, mm, to the rest yeah. of the world. Mm. You know, the, the Premier League sort of raucousness that comes with it. So that is why I say I absolutely get, and I've seen a lot of messages from women who are out here saying that this has been the safest World Cup. It has been the safest World Cup. You travel around, you do feel, you know, safe. There's been one, you know, I think there was, say, a few scenes outside one Ghana game, a few small scenes outside Morocco. It yeah. has been the ordered World Cup. I think that's not in doubt. Mm. But, you know, there's it is a much more nuanced. Mm. I think there is oh, nuances yeah. oh, to yeah. the argument. Yeah, a journalist put to me, you know, there you go. There you were people saying, you know, Qatar's going to be a horrendous World Cup and this, that and the other. And I was saying to him, yeah, but... I think everyone here is aware of the risks of breaking the law. So, well, exactly. Yeah, part of, yeah. if part we, of that order is is fear. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's why a lot of the, the English, you know, a lot of European fans, including English fans, have not come out here thinking this is not the place I'm going to go to and yeah. let my hair down. And Russia was the same, actually. There was fewer England fans in Russia for exactly the same reason. Yeah, I got to say, I agree with you both. Though it has been. A, a very nice and pleasant experience. I just think I'm, I'm constantly aware that I sit within the privilege of Completely. working for a major broadcaster, a lot like many of the journalists here, that tens of thousands of journalists here, staying in a nice part of town, in a nice hotel, going into nice restaurants. You know, it isn't the experience, obviously, of everyone that, that is living here. 100%. And we've got to be aware of that that sort of privileged position we're in. And I, I, I've i followed a lot of, of, of the LGBT issues and debate mm. and, and you, you you listen to to, to gay fans um, gay writers here and they feel very uncomfortable and just because I'm having a nice time it doesn't mean that that doesn't exist and that has to be a huge part of this conversation really it's difficult for me to it's difficult for all of, all of us to put ourselves in other people's shoes so from my position of privilege it's been enjoyable but I, I am aware that mm. that's not that's not the case for other sections who feel quite cornered out here. We have been also privileged to watch some great football so far, and I think that has helped. The stadiums, as we know, are absolutely magnificent. I, I, I don't even think people watching on the television can actually understand just how incredible they are. Every one that I go into, I, I suddenly think, you know, I wish this was St. James's Park or I wish this was Villa Park or the city ground or wherever, you know, I wish we hosted this World Cup and built these eight state-of-the-art incredible. I think the best thing about them is the unique design of the stadia is absolutely remarkable. Our bait is like a giant tent in the <laughs> desert. I've never seen anything like it in terms of a football stadium. Lucille, I walked in as a Manchester United fan, immediately thought this is what Old Trafford should be like because it's not just a huge 89,000 seat a football stadium. 
it feels like a football stadium. It has that closeness, despite the fact there are so many seats. I was actually like, I wish Wembley had this feeling that you didn't have this distance from the other side of the stadium that you get at Wembley Stadium, despite the fact that obviously, you know, there are worse football stadiums than Wembley and it is state of the art, etc. But I did want to talk about our best and worst experiences so far at the World Cup. It can be anything, anything you want, really. Well, if we're going to you know, talk about the football, I think, you know, to be at uh, Argentina, Saudi Arabia as a, as a way to sort of kick, you know, kick off the tournament, one of the, the first games and to see, you know, all, all the expectations coming in. Lionel Met- and, and I think, with, you know, one of the differences about this World Cup, we, we know the sort of superstar status is, you know, has grown and grown in football. But I think it's been more pronounced here than ever because of the fans here, they may be from, say, India or Pakistan, mm. but they, they latch on to the superstars. So mm. they, they turn up in Argentina shirts specifically because of Messi, only because of Messi. You know, you see the number of Ronaldo shirts mm. so, you know, latching on to, to, to Portugal. And so, you know, there was this, you know, huge sort of, you know, Messi Appreciation Society turned up. And um, to see at the first Arab World Cup, an Arab team pull off one of the great World Cup shocks. Yeah, it just, I think it gave real momentum to the group stage that, you know, maybe we were in this peculiar World Cup at this peculiar time of year, going to see some real surprises. That was an incredible start to the, 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 the tournament. I've, um, I mean, I'm going to go to Argentina again, I suppose. I love, I love football where you're seeing like absolute contrasts. You know, it's a game where there's, there's definitely more than one way to play. And Argentina v Australia was fascinating to me. Maybe it's the sort of Scottish element for me too, but <laughs> I'm watching guys who play for St Mirren, Dundee United, Hart of Midlothian, you know, on the fringes of the Celtic team. Um, big Harry Souter, who's very <laughs> close to where I was born. And, you know, last game was for Stoke Reserves against West Brom Reserves in front of nobody in Kidderminster. And he's marking Lionel Messi and doing a brilliant job. And, and the way Australia competed in that game, despite the lack of talent, was was incredible. But the way Messi, uh, I mean, every every time you watch Messi, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. We're so lucky to see, in our job to get to see him, right, not right, more than once, but to watching him transcend that game and drag a really ordinary Argentina performance to different territory through... His, it was leadership, it was his brilliance, um, it was his sense. There's just a sense of watching him that he's playing a, a different game to everyone else. He sees it quicker. The computer in his head is coming up with different solutions and ideas that nobody else has got, and he can execute them because he's got the skill, and that was an incredible experience. I've never seen anything like it. I've been to the last three Argentina games. Not necessarily a one-man team because I think you've all seen the walking stats and Messi does walk <laughs> for pretty much half he's, of his movements. He's going to be amazing at walking football, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but actually to see a player get the ball and basically watch everyone else be paralysed with fear, yeah. like that's essentially what happens when Messi gets the ball and you only really see it in the flesh in the stadium. It's not, you know, they're not paralysed, but there's an extra second of what's he going to do. There's a pause you yeah. can't just apply pressure to Messi. Yeah. Everyone just thinks for one moment, what if he does the, not even unexpected, but the unimaginable and usually does. It's remarkable, actually. It's an incredible thing to witness. It's timing, isn't it? I mean, somebody said to me once, he, he stands still better than any player on the planet and he certainly does. It's like all these silly people are running around and I'm just going to play my my rhythm. And as you say, when he gets the ball, then everyone else stops and he he's on the go. 
and I like watching character at play as well. And for me, you know, that, in that Argentina, in that Australia game, and I, I wrote about it, there's a moment where late in the game, you know, they need to put the game to bed. They can't get the third goal. Australia just won't go away. And he does a brilliant dribble in from the right. And then he lays it on a plate for Lautaro Martinez, who just smacks it in the stand. And we've seen in this World Cup, for example, Kevin De Bruyne getting very frustrated with his Belgian teammates not being up to scratch. Ronaldo getting frustrated because the world isn't working the way he wants. And I think Messi has really grown up uh, as, as, as a person and a footballer because it's a kind of like, okay, I'll just create another chance for you. You know, it's leadership. It's it's accepting your teammates around you and, and, and coming up with the next best thing to help them. And I, I love seeing that side of him as well. I still can't see him winning the World Cup, mind you. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> I mean, it's quite possible. I mean, Argentina obviously one of the big favourites coming in, but um, I don't know. I mean, Argentina have grown with each game, but they've that's from a pretty low base. And, <laughs> and I... Yeah. I I just think there are teams who look like they've just got more of a more of a collective about them than than Argentina at the moment. You just see them flying in and their defence, basically, you know, whether they start or not, players that come off the bench, every centre-back they've got seems to dive in <laughs> to a challenge. You just yeah. think, if he hadn't have got there, if he just hadn't have got there, they would have been wide open. And in the game so far, they have, but there will be far bigger and better challenges. You wonder how the Netherlands will cope against Argentina in the next match. Um, I, I, I see Argentina winning this, but maybe that's because I think they've got just more individual quality rather than necessarily they're a better team right now. It's, it's funny because I, I, I'd agree with that overall. I think they probably will edge it. And looking at it, like there's so many ordinary players in those, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, denigrate them but let's be honest you know watching players like Papu Gomez or Alexis McAllister's a really good footballer who's developing but at this point in time would he get in the England squad I don't know get all sort of Jason Cundy about it but I don't think he I don't think he, <laughs> Poor Jason. I don't think he would <laughs> the midfield's kind of okay mm. and then you look at Holland and Daly Blind what a career he's had but he's still playing yeah. left wing back for, for Holland you know it's, it's madness there's ordinary players in those two teams I think Holland have got a, a great coach maybe he isn't playing the nicest football but is a great coach in terms of, of his experience and what, he, what mm -hmm. he does and Argentina have got a great player and they're dragging along some fairly kind of ordinary soldiers alongside them every game that I've been to my end conclusion is if Messi was on the other team they would have won like it's, yeah. it's basically that. So if you can stop Messi, you can stop Argentina. But that is obviously a huge task. <laughs> yeah, but Brazil will, Brazil will fancy. I mean, if it goes to, you know, obviously Croatia are, uh, you know, the team that sort of, you know, you never seem to be able to kill off. Um, mm. But, but uh, you know, obviously Brazil coming in with you know, huge confidence, flair form now. So many uh, attacking options as well, even with Jesus out, out of the tournament. And, um, you know, you, you've got to think Brazil are going to go through and you've, got to think that Brazil would be favourites against uh, against Argentina in that semi if that's how it pans out. Kind of sad it's going to be a semi-final if it does get that far though because oh, wow. that's going to be the well beyond the hottest ticket in, in, in town. I mean it's going to be one of the most memorable yeah. World Cup games probably. I mean they're yeah. both it's been a long time, you know, it's yeah, what, 20 yeah. years since the South American team won the World Cup, but it's been a long time since they were the two favourites, those two big rivals for a competition and there wasn't a European nation that we were saying should yeah. be winning the World Cup. No, I mean, what, what, a, what a game that will be uh, if, if it transpires. And like, you know, so my, we've all got a World Cup that's our reference point. Mine's probably 1982. I've tried to blank 78 out of my head. I was, I was quite young, but 82, Brazil, Argentina in that World Cup. 
was just, I mean, you'll remember it was a horrific game in in many ways because of the the violence in it. And this beautiful Brazilian team was was just, oh, you know, smashed all over the place. And uh, you realize then the kind of context between those two nations, every bit of context that let's say England, Germany have got, but then more and more and quality on top of it. It's how the draws transpired and actually that, you know, for, for a sort of, you know, I mean, we're making assumptions here that it's going to be a South American semi-final, but to have that on one side and to have Morocco will undoubtedly mm-hmm. have a say in this, but what on form you would expect, um, certainly on ranking, you'd expect would be a European sort of um, semi-final on the other side. I don't think there's a sense that, you know, we're, we've got a totally lopsided World yeah. Cup. I think, I think, you know, if it ends up, for example, being England or France versus Portugal in one semi-final and, and Brazil, Argentina in the other. I don't think that that sort of feels like there's a sort of too many anomalies in that. No, no. Sometimes you have too many shocks and then you end up with a kind of weak semi-final lineup or quarter-final lineup. But, but it feels just about right, doesn't it? Yeah. Morocco is brilliant, absolutely brilliant that they're still in it. As I say, you don't want to then end up like 2002, I felt, was kind of pretty boring and t- between the group stage and the final because too many good teams have gone out. Let's talk about, I mean, it's been the World Cup of shocks, really, these games coming up. Uh, Morocco's a good place to start. I think it was incredible to see them knock Spain out. I mean, we should talk about Spain as well, really, especially with that flag behind you. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, firstly on Morocco, the first time they've reached the quarterfinal at a World Cup, the fourth African nation to reach a quarterfinal at a World Cup. But the sad thing at the end of that game is, look, it's great that they've gone through. They were like the walking wounded at the end of that game. And we don't know whether they will have their first team out. And even those that do play, we don't know what physical state that they will be in against a a Portugal side that looked very, very good and comfortable dispatching Switzerland. So can Morocco keep it up? I think they can. I don't think they will. I mean, my money would be on Portugal, but... I don't think it's going to be an easy game for them at all. As you say, it depends on the physical state. They had to take half the defence off because they spent that amount of time chasing the ball. But the sheer unity, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the pictures on and the videos on social media of that team with their families mm. after games, that team in the dressing room celebrating, that team with their supporters. I mean, they have got something really, really special that side. And then they've got Warriors, you know, Roman Seiss, underrated player in the Premier League when he was at Wolves. What a colossal performance. I, Agard, really good football alongside mm. him, might be injured. Hakimi's absolutely brilliant. And Amrabat, I just, you know, maybe it's because he's a, he's a bald guy with a beard, but <laughs> absolutely love the guy. Whoa, 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 he's bald through choice. You can see that he's... Wait, 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 what are you trying I'm, to say? I'm, this I'm is a lifestyle. Upset, you? I'm quite upset you haven't got around to mentioning uh, QPR's Ilias Chair at this point, obviously. It's making I mean, you a fortune, isn't it? <laughs> he is. We, QPR actually get, yeah, make money just by having him uh, sitting on the bench. But no, with, with their... With their um, if they do have a few uh, aches and aches and strains I'm, I'm thinking this is his chance to um, mm. to prove the quality in the championship you see they've conceded one goal in eight games um, and that was an own goal as we saw so no, they, I mean, gives they, you a chance they, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean and I think they, they are you know I mean every team will say that they you know they care for mm. their, their country and they you know passion is you know unmatched by anyone else but um, there's no doubt I think this World Cup there's something going on in that camp yeah. that is that is really driving them on. But I, you know, obviously, I was at the Portugal game last night, 
and you saw a team unleashed. You saw a team completely liberated. Obviously, you know, the Ronaldo factor was, was huge in that. You know, we've seen it at Man United where, you know, he is by the nature of being one of the world's greatest players ever as a massive character who does, you know, when he's in the, I remember someone at United saying it, when, when Ronaldo's in a strop, <laughs> the world knows about it. And he, it's, it was almost like this sort of cloud would go over Carrington. And you can see that there was a liberation about them last night. It was partly tactical. It was partly the dynamism of Ramos coming in. I mean, and what, you know, what a story that was. You know, you've got a kit guy who's played his international debut a month ago. He's making his first start for his country in a World Cup finals in a knockout game. And he bangs in, you know, a sensational <laughs> goal, goes on to a hat-trick. But I think it was more than that. I thought Felix was sen- sensational yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah. You could see that he want, he found it easier to to, to link with a, a striker who was full of movement himself. Mm. I thought Bernardo Silva in mm. the more of a central role came to life. You know, I mean, we know he's an absolutely top quality player, but he seemed to love that role. Bruno Fernandes, you know, it was yeah. like all of them were growing. So yeah. I think that's a, it, you know, I, I, they I, look tremendous. I did the previous two games and I was like, I, I don't get this diamond. Mm. Bernardo Silva is absent for both those games. You wouldn't have known that he he played. It was just too good a player to yeah. not have him affecting the game. But then in the, the final half an hour of the group game, when the final group game, when Ramos came on and they played a 4-2-3-1 and Bruno Fernandes was on the right, I was like, oh my God, they're miles better. Yeah, Miles, miles better. Everyone's much more comfortable. There's a balance, there's a solidity, there's width, there's speed. And I think Fernando Santos realised then he can't carry Ronaldo because they only played the diamond yeah. so that they would have a forward alongside Ronaldo. And and yeah. again, I think we've already seen with Wales in this tournament and another couple of sides, you know, he can't really carry anyone in the World Cup, particularly as you go to the, the knockout stages. No, it's a, good, it's a good comparison. I think that's more than football now. You just you, It's an 11-man game on and off the ball. Although we've been talking about Messi who does his own thing. But unless you're Lionel Messi, you know, I don't think you can be carried and... and that Portugal midfield now, Neves, Carvalho, Silva looks that's a brilliant midfield. And Fernandes and 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 um Felix is is an incredibly creative goal scoring threat sort of style pair of inside forwards. And they've always lacked that's well, not always, but but a lot of Portugal teams down the years have lacked a striker. And you've often thought, what if they had one? And mm. okay, he's a young guy, he's done very well for Benfica this year, so it suggests it's not a fluke. The goal, the way he took his goals, also suggests that ain't no fluke. That's a guy that can really play. Mm. And if he can, if he continues that with what's behind him, yeah, they, they, you know, they would be really formidable. It was great to see Pepe score yeah. as well. I've got to say, <laughs> just rolling back the years. Um, but it was kind of sad to hear the crowd chanting Cristiano Ronaldo's name. I think it was some of those, not necessarily yeah. Portugal fans, but some of the locals exactly. enamored with his superstardom. Totally. And, and you know, and fair, and fair enough, they're all turning up tens of thousands of them for this glimpse of, you know, an icon. And so you don't, I sort of, from their perspective, I understand that desire, but it did feel to me almost disrespectful to to those players who were playing so brilliantly that, you know, they're, you know, it's one of the great performances we've seen at this World Cup and, you know, knocking the ball around beautifully, fantastic. What, what a story for Ramos. And yet, or just as, as you were there as well, this booming and, you know, with a sort of demand of get him, you know, I paid my money, get, <laughs> get, him, get, on. get him on, you know. And, uh, you know, maybe if I'd paid my money and was, a, a you know, a sort of Ronaldo fan of for life, then I'd feel the same. But I did feel like, hang on a minute, just enjoy what you're seeing because this is sensational. Mm. 
how much has this period, do you think, what happened with the Piers Morgan interview, leaving Manchester United, now what's happened at the World Cup, how much does it tinge the, the memory, the end of Cristiano Ronaldo's legacy? Yeah, he's he's got, I mean... I think like I think he's, he's he's his body works so great that he can't trash that but it has it has left a really it has left a different impression of him you used the Gareth Bale comparison imagine if Gareth Bale had to stop Wales and and started you know the, the constituency people that love him the most just suddenly became hugely unpopular then that just changed Gareth Bale's entire uh, the way the way he's seen his life and Ronaldo's got to be careful not to do that with with Portugal. Man United fans have been through it. I think actually the Piers Morgan thing was, was was what it was. I think he's, Ronaldo's probably been saved by the exit happening so quickly, and mm. while he's at the World Cup, so that might allow him to draw a line under things with United. But it's about what he does next. Football's always about what what he does next, and he he has to find it in himself. I think to find a little bit of humility. He can't. Next time he speaks Man United, he can't trash Man United. And next time he's in that Portugal frame in the squad and in, 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 on the bench, whatever, he's, he's, he's got to accept his his role now is to contribute off the bench. Let's be realistic. Mm. And if he does that, you could see him coming on and scoring a, a big goal in the semi final. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, 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 I've, I've lost some. Yeah, as, you, as Johnny says, he, he has and will forever be one of the greatest players we've seen and, and you know, respect to what he made of himself. Yeah. I mean, you know, he physically transformed himself. He, he turned himself into one of the most, you know, remarkable um, athletes we've ever seen. And yet, you know, um, the fact is that one of the reasons for dropping him, um, mostly it's t- you know, it can be justified 100% on football point of view, but you know, I was at the press conference the other day, the manager was really naffed off with him and why mm. shouldn't you yeah. be? I mean, you know, you don't throw, you know, you're substituting a guy who's not playing very well. You don't throw your arms around and treat yourself as a special case. And um, as you say, Portugal looked all the better for the fact that the manager has absolutely asserted who's the boss in the same way that Ten Hag, mm. let's be real, was trying to do from August. You know, mm, this, mm, this, mm. you know, it took, it took months and it took a, you know, Ronaldo to blow it all up with that interview. But the fact is Ten Hag wanted him out because he just sensed that this would be a better team and a better squad and a more liberated squad without trying to, everyone having to try and work out if Cristiano was going to come in in a good mood or a bad mood. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's talk about another couple of games on the horizon then. I think I'll leave the uh, England game. Uh, Brazil? We think they'll be coming through, do we, against the Croatians? Well, I mean, the, yes, but Croatia are 
such a battle hardened tournament team. You know, they've only won one game at this tournament. I think they every other game was a yeah, every other game was a draw. They've done the bare minimum to get here. They've I think they've won the last four knockout games at World Cups on penalty shootings. Yeah. You know, they, they are just that kind of nuggety I don't know, it's like they hang around, you know. There's, there's I, was, I was trying to reach for a tennis comparison, and like, you know, you get those tennis players that just won't go away in, in, in a in a Grand Slam or whatever, but they don't necessarily win it. They will, they'll be tricky. You, you could have said Andy Murray if you wanted. <laughs> I was talking about Andy Murray with the Moroccan fans last night on the tube, actually, and they they promised to. Is that uh, the only thing they knew about Scotland? Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, it probably it did seem to be. To be fair, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah, yeah, but they did. They, they promised to beat England for for Andy Murray and, and for me. But uh, anyway, they they the um the, yeah the, the the Croats, yeah Brazil could could have a calamity. They could. Take them too lightly. They could. They could dance too much. And oh yeah, yeah. Da- dancing. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. If that's, I mean, I, I do wonder what World Cup experience people are having back home if if they're getting worried about about Brazil being happy, being mm. joyful, and dancing. Anyway, um, I think what I'm trying to say is that Croatia will keep you honest. You know, they they if you give them a chance, they'll take it. Um, and and Brazil just have to. They have, well, they've been consistent during this World Cup, but I think we look at that team and there are question marks in my mind. That is, is that a team that I don't know, maybe it's based on what they've done in the last few tournaments with the flat perceive Maybe it's Neymar himself, who's always had that career where he hasn't always stood up in the really big moments. So Brazil just take them lightly and and a bit daft and 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 let the game you know drift a little bit. Croatia could find a way to take it into extra time. I wouldn't expect that to happen, but it's not a you know it's not a foregone conclusion just because of how battle hardened they are. It's interesting. I, I want to ask a question about the Brazilian midfield actually, because Lucas Paqueta has played basically alongside Casemiro, but it actually is quite an attacking team. He's obviously much more natural attacker. He's been in and around the edge of the box. We saw the goal that he scored the other night as well. And there's kind of this, and we'll talk about what England might do next. It's a kind of a feeling that I've got that Brazil will revert to to natural holders. I think you're probably right. I mean, I mean, you say sort of them around the box. I mean, even more remarkably, it was Marquinhos and Thiago Silva yes, sort of wow. yes. just slipping through, just slipping past. It. You know, you're suddenly looking at thinking, hang on a minute, you know, he's in a number 10 position. What, what the heck's he doing there? But no, I think you're right. I think, you know, but then I guess that's the scary thing about Brazil is that they have the, the ability to, to, to mix it up as well. You know, they're not just a, it's not just a f- great forward line and you know there's flimsiness behind. They can stiffen up the midfield as well. So, yeah. um, although I saw, you know, I mean, Fred was still getting pelters from, so I saw some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's, that's, that's destined to be his, uh, his life, I think. But um, he could have a heck of a last laugh at the end of this. Yeah, I, get, I mean, I get the feeling we're going to see images of Fred kissing the World <laughs> Cup at the yeah. end for the Manchester United fans that moaned. Let's talk about England against France. Mm. I don't think it's the most intriguing game. Um, I think that I'm quite I'm quite interested in the Netherlands against Argentina being mm. the most intriguing one because of what we said already. But I actually think this one's clear. We know what we're going to get from France. It seems in this competition, we kind of know what we're going to get from England now. Except we don't know whether Gareth Southgate is a new man. 
feels like it. I spoke to James Madison the other day. We had it on the podcast where he said he'd been surprised with how forward thinking um, Gareth Southgate is, how much he wants them, the players to be on the front foot and attacking, how he always mentions it, always talking about that. Mm. I found that very interesting. But then you think Kylian Mbappe, who we've witnessed in the flesh of this tournament, incredible. And immediately I just think, please play five at the back we're not that bad in that system oh no 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 no, no. not for me not for me look I'm, I'm very much team gareth so i i think he has always wanted to play this football he hasn't always been able to execute it he's got a magic player in jude bellingham who just changes the parameters for england makes the 4-3-3 possible and makes a variety of ways of playing within a 4-3-3 possible because of the player he is what i'm observing as a slightly de- slightly detached observer is something I've seen before from the English, if I may say, which is a kind of underestimating opponents um, who they think they're better than, and then coming up against a top team and just getting suddenly frightened by how oh, they're really good. And there doesn't seem to be a sort of balance to, and I'm just talking about the kind of debate back home more than anything, there doesn't seem to be a balance to it sometimes. So Kylian Mbappe is amazing. What an incredible footballer. But it's like suddenly we're going from Ah, uh, the teams England are playing are rubbish. To like, they've got a super player. Everything has to change, and I think it would be a mistake to abandon what's been working really well, what's been putting other teams under huge pressure, to go to three at the back, to double up with with Walker and Trippier, because you ju- you're going to have to take one of the attacking players off. You're going to have to redeploy Jude Bellingham. You, you can't play a three man midfield, or you're going to have to remove one of those sort of threats and I, I just don't see the point of that except Mbappe's brilliant trust Carl Walker to deal with them trust Jordan Henderson on the right side to, to try and fill in gaps to give Walker that, that, that chance to deal with them and try and frighten France with Bellingham with Bukayo Saka with Phil Foden with, with Harry Kane because they're, they're not amazing sort of midfield and back they're not incredible uh, for me Griezmann's the kind of as big a question mark actually as Mbappe. He's almost like a random factor in this game because there aren't many players who play in that sort of real traditional number 10 way that he's been playing in, in, in this World Cup. He takes up unusual positions. So I'm interested to see how England deal with him. I think with Mbappe, you've just got to accept he's brilliant and hope that Kyle Walker can do what he did for uh, City against PSG. Yeah, I've, I've shifted on this argument. Actually, my first instinct was that probably to go to the back three, but actually I've, sw- I've swung... To, to agree with John and I, I think you know, for a lot of reasons he said I mean I think you know we've got to think of what have our strengths been and mm. and you know the wide forwards and the, the the choice of wide forwards the range of wide forwards is has been a huge thing as just, uh, you know the the midfield three absolutely cannot be messed with and you know you can make adaptations within it I mean I was speaking to someone yesterday who said for example now you could argue that this is going to detract too much from Bellingham but he was saying isn't there is there an argument for putting Bellingham to the right of the midfield Mm -hmm. because then you know he is the most athletic you know of the three he's got you know real dynamism and pace and you actually shift him across there and he Mm -hmm. can help he can support Carl Walker and actually that's another you know because you know he's a proper number eight he can do defensive work as well and you're just making a bit of a tweak to the balance there that uses uses him there and then you've got you know Rice and you know probably Henderson but you've also got the Phillips choice to 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 think about Griezmann Mm -hmm. as well so you you're 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 playing a team that still has England's strengths in and you're just making a little few adjustments that are mindful of what France can do. And I, I've, I have to say, I, I say I started the week thinking, you know, 
it's got to be you know back 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 three will be doubling up with Trippy. But actually, you know, I think the game is balanced enough. I think England mm. got enough strengths. I think England, you know, Tony Cascarino did it in the paper the other day. You know, I know it's a sort of it's not a real exercise, but if you're picking a, a, a sort of composite eleven, England would have at least as many players in it as France. I don't. Think, I think that's a, a fair argument. And so, yeah, uh, I'm with Johnny. I think there's there's almost too much lost by switching at this point. I, I do think France are like Brazil in that the front four have such a good relationship that you have to be very concerned about them because when it goes into that area of the pitch, I mean, Antoine Griezmann has looked like <laughs> a child skipping in a, in a playground when he plays football. He's enjoying himself. He looks incredibly relaxed. His ability to hold the ball in tight areas, I think, gets France up the pitch as much as yeah. Mbappe but, being but able to gallop away on the left. I agree, but I think that's countered better by England having the same control of midfield and do now yeah. than, than actually reinforce, you know, I mean, if you go back to the three centre-backs, obviously you'd have Walker being pulled out to, to sort of try and help Trippier, but do you actually need, you yeah. know, the fact is that the two can 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 take care of Giroud, um, yeah. Stones and Maguire, and certainly wouldn't be fearful of that for all that he's actually, you know, having a yeah. evergreen career. And and I think it is the, the, the Griezmann situation that's going to be a, the sort yeah. of midfield headache, isn't it? That's a that's that's a massive test for Declan Rice, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's been great at this tournament, but hasn't really had a player to play against like that. Maybe the solution is just just the the fullbacks and just keeping them in in a in a much more sort of defensive mode. I think England did a little bit of that against Senegal. Actually, I noticed that um, Shaw and and Walker weren't getting in forward nearly as much as as they had been before. And it was, you know, the, the sort of rotations on the flank were, were, were happening with the midfielders rather than the fullbacks. So maybe it's just a case of keeping them back. I mean, we haven't talked about Shaw v Dembele. That, that actually, yeah, to me, is tough. as worrying uh, as, as, as the other Walker side. v yeah. Mbappe. But as I say, look, I'm, I'm sitting here like a Scott, oh, England get worried about everything. We worry about every team we play against. But I guess my point is just think about England's strengths and think about the fact that France, in the in the... I mean, Rabiot, you play Bellingham up against Rabiot. That's that. that t- if I was French, I'd be like, I'd be, I'd be worried about that, quite frankly. Mm. And I'd be worried about my fullbacks against against England. I do think they keep the ball a bit better than us. I'm going back, <laughs> I'm going back to fearful uh, England fan. But um, one thing I would do is, I think I'd start Rashford. Now I know that no one else is thinking that at all. But having watched the French in the flesh, Jules Koundé is not a natural right back. And actually, he the one thing that he does have is... A bit of added physicality, obviously, is a more natural centre half, and I would—I I think he would not necessarily would get the better of a, a Foden if he was out there on the left, but I think it will become a bit more of a physical battle there. And I think Rashford playing well as well mm. is more ready for that. I also think that England lacked a threat in behind for a large portion of that game, scored on the on the break. But generally speaking, no one really ran in behind. Marcus obviously loves to do that. And that's another thing. I think if you've got a player out there, he wasn't a natural right back. You're arcing your runs yeah. in through towards the middle of the pitch. I mean, that's where he's had success. And we may well be playing on the counter a lot more. I can see that. I, I, I don't think Varane wants people running behind him, certainly. I agree with Kunde being a potential weak spot. Um, and Marcus has been brilliant. It's just Foden's so good. And, mm. and he was so good. And in, in, I thought he really arrived as the Phil Foden that we see in the Premier League. He arrived as that player finally um, in the Senegal game. Others have said it, but it, it, it is, is there another team that's got such selection headaches in that area? I don't know, maybe, maybe 
maybe there is, but it just seems England have got real riches. Yeah. Brazil, yeah, I, I, Brazil, Brazil might one of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rafinha and uh, Richarlison, Rodrigo, and etc. Yeah, yeah, Martinelli, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Martin, and Martin, yeah, Martinelli's been. That's a good mm, point. Yeah. The but, thing is, I wouldn't drop Foden. Okay. I'd move him across move to the right hand right. side. Yeah, but, yeah. And again, it would be very unfortunate for Saka. But um, I think it, you know, it's a, it's almost like it's an FA Cup. It's a knockout game. It's a horses for courses situation. Um, but then there is still a part of me that wants to play five at the back. <laughs> it's, easy, it's easy being this England manager, obviously. This, yeah. is, this is why. This is why yeah. you know, poor old Gareth getting a hard time coming into this tournament. But it's you know, it's uh, yeah. But the, the, and this and this is one of the. Uh, undoubtedly, one of the biggest sele- yeah. selections of his life. I mean, it's, it's it's and these are all fine line decisions. I mean, it's absolutely you know we can we're all sitting there and we're all trying to envisage <laughs> this game, but it's such an unpredictable match. This one, it's so mm-hmm. tight, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's obviously the fascination. Let's envisage both paths then to end the podcast, just in terms of Gareth Southgate, his future, and what you think the British. I say the British public. Excuse me, the English public will feel <laughs> about you know whether it goes either way a win over France what that would say about Gareth Southgate and all of his time in charge and what they think about his future and equally what a defeat to France would mean for what you think the English football fans would feel about Gareth Southgate's well, time in charge and, and his future look if he beats France I think people would be mad not to accept that this is the second best England manager of all time a guy that's gone to a Euro final a World Cup semi-final in 2018 and then would be talking about a second World Cup semi-final that's unprecedented Who's who took over from Sam Allardyce who took over a, a ridiculous team that had lost to Iceland at the Euros you know like like ridiculous in the sense of just playing so far below their, their talent level I'm a Gareth fan and I think if he, if he gets past France he should stay as long as he likes quite frankly he, I think he, he's, he's earned that and I think he would have to be recognised as a uh, as, as, uh, for what he's done um, it's an incredible body of work mm. if he gets to that semi-final yeah I'm not going to dispute a word of that I mean even if you know, and if we lose I think you know, I mean I was predicting England would get this far and, and and possibly quite probably lose at this point I don't I think that would be sort of yeah, hugely disappointing, hugely frustrating as as a fan. Um, but I'm not going to fall off my chair if we lose to by the odd goal to, to to France. And I personally think that there would be should be a foot on the ball. Um, Gareth should go away, have a holiday, think about what he wants to do. FA likewise. But you know, if we lose a close game to France, I don't think there's any need to sort no. of panic and think we must have change. We must have change. You know, I mean, there's a lot of issues to, to think about that. Partly what Gareth's done, as as Johnny's um, rightly said, but. Also, there aren't, you know, options falling out of the trees either. And and, and I think, you know, the fact is that, um, you know, Gareth Southgate has made England a serious, credible tournament football team. You know, people are going into this match on Saturday with, with you know, proper hope, <laughs> belief that England will be, you know, potentially by the, the end of the night contenders for this World Cup as they have been for the last two tournaments. Right, where can we read you next? What's your next game, Johnny? I'm doing Brazil on Friday, um, which is such a treat. So that'll be my next uh, my next match, yeah. Argentina-Holland for me oh. on on, uh, on Friday night, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to. I mean, obviously, memories of 98, just from that, you know, when you sort of conjure that fixture. But that we should say that there are still game pullouts as well. There uh, are. Even even uh, without matches, there's so much to go out with this World Cup. So, um, yeah, plenty to uh, get stuck into. Make sure you download the Times app. Uh, subscribe, of course, as well. The Times.co.uk 
forward slash the game. I'll be back with you tomorrow for another special edition of the game podcast with three more of our journos based here in Doha. So another on location podcast for you to come. So make sure you hit the notification button. Uh, Jonathan Northcroft, Matt Dickinson, thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. I'll see you then. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.